So there's this small airplane flying in the third world country and there's 12, 14 people on it, and pilot and a co-pilot. And they're going over this really bad mountainous terrain, just really bad. And, and all of a sudden, the, the left engine just sputters to a stop. And everybody's looking out there, and this priest and, uh, I'm sorry, pastor, we'll go pastor. I heard a priest, but I'm a pastor, so we're going to pastor. So this pastor is sitting in his one seat with this kind of hippie kid that's kind of touring the world, you know, borrowing money and doing little odd jobs and just going around the world, and all of his worldly possessions are in his backpack in the back of the plane, you know, one of those kind of kids. And there's these other important people on there for this scientific thing going on, and Oh, listen, they're kind of looking at each other thinking, wow, I've never had an engine quit in an airplane before in a third world. And then the other one sputters to a stop. And they look at each other, and just then the pilot and the co-pilot come out, and they're walking down the aisle as they're talking to everybody. Well, you know that we put the plane in autopilot, but it's just going to kind of keep going down until it finally hits the mountains because, well, uh, something happened, and uh, we don't know exactly what, but our fuel uh, is gone. It shouldn't be. Uh, well, so we don't know what the deal is, but uh, well, we're all going to have to jump out. But fortunately, we have parachutes, so uh, we're ready for this contingency, and we put it over this valley. And so you have about uh, about five minutes to get out of here, and then you're going to be in the mountains, and it's going to be bad. And uh, so, yeah, you need to do this. And so they said, here's how it works. And so they say, and you put the thing on this way, and you just step in it like this, and you throw it on your shoulders, and then you tighten the belt, and then you jump out the window like this, and pull the cord when you're going, by the way, bye, Ooh, and they jump out. <laughs> and all the, all the people are going, and so boom, they all get up from their seats, and they're all going back, they're digging back there where the guys got the parachutes, and they start, one after the other, they start jumping out, and pretty soon, there's only four people left, our pastor and the hippie kid, and this scientist. And then one guy, a businessman, in front of him. And he goes and he looks in there. And all of a sudden he looks up and he looks back and looks up and he says, um, uh, there's four of us and there's only three parachutes. And, well, I've got one. And so you guys can decide what to do from now. And so he jumps in. <laughs> so there's these three guys, this scientist and this hippie and this pastor. And so the scientist is up in the front and he goes in. He looks and he says, gentlemen, I don't really know you. But I need you to know that uh, I'm a very important scientist down here on a very important mission. And Well, frankly, I'm very probably the most intelligent man in the world, and I just don't think it would be right for me to die. The world needs a guy like me, and uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm going to... So he grabbed the pack and jumped out the airplane. So the pastor looks at the kid, and he says, You know, son, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to heaven. He says, It's all right. You go ahead and you take that last one. You live a long life and you enjoy life and you seek for truth and you do the right thing. And, and the kid looks at him and he says, wow, you do that for me? He says, oh, yeah. He said, I, and he said, just you go ahead and grab me. He said, no, that's all right. He said, he said, no, no, I'm not taking the parachute. I want you to go. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's all right. He said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, the world's smartest man just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of an airplane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, sometimes education and intelligence do not necessarily go hand in hand. Uh, it's, uh, it's sometimes that way. We kind of think of highly educated people can really not be uh, necessarily uh, practically capable of anything much at all. <laughs> so it can 
can be really interesting. But educated people are people that we might need to talk to about Christ. We talked just a few weeks ago about the woman at the well. I mean, she was a very uneducated outcast, one of those people, you know. And, how, and Jesus talked to her and went through the whole process. Well, what do you do now? What's Jesus going to do with somebody from the other end of the social spectrum? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. In that little sentence, we learned just a whole bunch about this guy. First, he's, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the name for the ruling council of the Jews. Very elite person. Much smaller than like our Senate or something. A, a real small group of very powerful men who ran the country. So he was very highly placed. Within that group, he was in the position, a Pharisee, he was in the position of the old Jewish religion, the traditional Jewish religion. He was a kind of a stable person, not out there a fly-by-night guy. He was a stable guy working within the normal Jewish culture that God had outlined in the Old Testament. As far as his education, we find out a little more as we go along. The guy's basically got a doctorate, okay? So he's a very highly educated man, been through a lot, a lot of school, probably taught. Actually, we know he teaches. He's, he's a very important person who's highly placed and who is also very highly educated. Okay, so this is the person we're working with. He's the upper crust of their society. I mean, everything. He probably is also, by the way, fairly wealthy. That position usually came with quite a bit of money. So now you've got a picture of this guy that came to Jesus, well, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Another very concise statement that says a ton. Now, there's been a lot of talk about night, Nick at night. Why did he come at night? And a lot of people, well, maybe he didn't want anybody to know he was coming, and that's, that is possible. But Jesus was also overwhelmed by crowds in the day. He had, by this time, people were seeking him out everywhere. It's entirely possible Nicodemus couldn't get to him in the day. He might not have been able to come to him except at night. It may have been the only time that he come. The, point, the important point here is he came. He came to Jesus. He sought out Jesus. So that says a lot about the guy right there that he would do that. And he called him rabbi. A rabbi is a very Jewish title. <laughs> but a very respected title, like professor. This is the guy that has that you trust, that you believe in, that knows what he's talking about. So he's a rabbi. So he's being respectful to Jesus, very respectful. Now, he may also be thinking, well, I'm a rabbi too, because he was, right? He was an important teacher that did this. So a rabbi... And mostly this sentence says something to us that we've got to understand. It's enormously Jewish. <laughs> he is Jewish. He's an Israeli to the core. He's a, he believes in the Mosaic, everything, the way he forms his sentence, everything. This is a man who is into the Bible, who believes it, who believes that Israel is the answer. He's everything Israel. Okay, he, This is where he is. 
kind of like an American of Americans, you know, salutes the flag every morning, uh, every, you know, that kind of, that's the picture. We're getting a guy who is an Israeli to the core. And he says an interesting thing, that you're a teacher come from God, and that the things you do, you couldn't do those unless God was with you. So very positive look at what he's seen. Something, he says, is here. Something's going on. Very highly respectful, I remember. And he says, signs. Signs. Now, signs, by the way, are big in John. As you read the Gospel of John, signs are constantly throughout John. Miracles are really common. But also just before this, just barely before this conversation, Jesus had gone into the temple and driven out the people who were selling things right in the temple and the money changers, all these people right there in the temple. And he drove them out and said, you know you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing? He drove them out. And the, guess what the priests, those very group that Nicodemus comes from, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, how come you think you get to do this? Where's your credential? Are you a PhD? I don't think so. You haven't been to NDR colleges. Why are you doing this? But that could be what Nicodemus is saying. I did see him do some signs. I have heard about the miracle. I don't know. By the way, when they said that, Jesus promised them one sign. Of all the signs he did, he said, there's only one sign you're going to get. I don't know if, what exactly he meant by that. He told the resurrection that you know he would, he would raise from the dead. They didn't get it, by the way, so I don't know. <laughs> they didn't understand it. Later, we read this. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This is when Jesus healed that blind man. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Well, I'm guessing Nicodemus is in that second group. How can a man do this? How can you make a blind man see if something isn't going on here? So Nicodemus is probably more aware than most of his associates what's going on. He's thinking this out better than the rest of them are. But he's still in that group. Actually, there's one point where Jesus actually says to some people, so Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus is kind of, this sign thing is a touchy subject. However, John writes towards the end of his gospel, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the signs are important, but they can't be everything because they don't tell you, is Jesus a prophet? A lot of people thought he was. You read through there, constantly, this is the prophet. This has got to be the prophet. This prophet. Matter of fact, the Jehovah's Witness that Jesus was a prophet. <laughs> that doesn't really bias a lot, okay? But they thought he was a prophet. So, well, that's part of the way, and he was. And is he the Christ, the chosen one of God, the Messiah? Yeah. Yeah, lots of people thought he must be that. As a matter of fact, the Mormons say he's chosen of God, that he was the Christ. So you don't have a problem with that either. Of course, they think every guy in the Mormon church is also a Christ, but that's another issue. But So it, it, they're getting there, they're getting there. The question is, do they understand by these signs that he's the son of God. Because that's where you got to go. That's where you got to be. Son of God is the issue. 
So basically, Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, we don't get it. (laughs) Something's going on here. I mean, who are you? What is it you're teaching? What, What are you trying to say to us? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, can you? I think Nicodemus is probably saying, "Is that what I asked?" <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. What? What's going on? On the other hand, Nicodemus is a professor. He's a teacher in a college. He's used to this. This is how they converse. When you're talking to a highly educated person, when they ask a question, they expect you to make a proposition. You're supposed to say something that then you're going to defend. You're going to go back and forth and talk about it. So this is the proposition. It's the center of what Jesus is saying. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' overall proposition of what he's going to defend. So although Nicodemus certainly was not expecting this, he is expecting Jesus to make a statement that they will go back and forth on and that Jesus will defend and expand. So, in a sense, he's kind of thinking this is going to come, but not those words. <laughs> he just was ready for a proposition, but he wasn't quite ready for that. But he understood a lot. Throughout here, we're going to look at the word you. Now, in English, unless you're from the South, where they got a y'all, <laughs> you is always the same plural or not. You know, you. Uh, you can be one person, can be multiple people. But in Greek, they have a y'all for you. <laughs> so what they do is they mark it. And in this case, truly, truly, I say to you is singular. He's saying, Nicodemus, listen to me. I'm saying to you. Okay, so he's, if you will, pointing the finger at Nicodemus saying, are you hearing these words? So watch, we'll watch the you's as we go. Now the born, the born again. I told you Nicodemus was very, very Jewish. He believes, like most Jews did then, that being a Jew, being born a Jew, is it. you done that, you're in heaven. I mean, you'd have to mess up big to lose it. You can't, you can't get out of it without really messing up. I mean, you, you can't, there's no accidental getting out of going to heaven. That's what most of them thought. Just being born a Jew, that sucks it. You're done. You don't have to worry anymore. You're there. And Jesus says, you want to get to that kingdom of heaven? You've got to be born again. Being Jewish is not enough. Whoa. That's going to rock Nicodemus' world right there, just all by itself. And remember, he's very highly educated. He knows the focus of these words. He knows where Jesus is going. That whole kingdom of God, that, that more shorthand words. You know, educated people like to use shorthand words, so they'll say one word, metonymy. And we use in, in, uh, in theology, they taught us all these things. Okay, metonymy means this, synecdoche means, synecdoche means that, and, and ellipsis is this, and that. they taught us all these things. And then they'll go through the scripture and say, okay, here's a metonymy that does that, and this part is a synecdoche, and you're, and, you, and you're supposed to... And you can go through the stuff really fast, because you know all of those key words that mean certain things. For the real world, they don't help. But in a classroom, you can get through the material so much faster if you have these key words. And when Jesus says, kingdom of God, that's a key word. That's a key word. 
what Nicodemus hears is the whole afterlife picture. When he hears kingdom of God, he's got everything. This is being resurrected from the dead. This is being given a new creation. This is He knows all of that. That all goes with kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is there. And so this whole thing of using shorthand words and things like that and questions, it's supposed to go back and forth. That's what's supposed to happen. And what often happens is people say, wait, define, define kingdom of God because they may not know exactly what you mean by it. And in an education world, that's what you're supposed to do. Stop, don't get that word. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, keep going. I mean, that's how that works. So when you're working with an educated person, if they use some word you don't know, you say, stop, what's that word? What does it mean? Okay, all right, now go on. I mean, that, that's what they expect. They, they expect that everybody's going to do that. It's kind of fun when you're in one of those classes when, when I was getting my master's, because you go along... And the teacher will be doing it, and you, they'll say some key word, and you'll see them scan really quick. They look at everybody. See if anybody's going, <laughs> and they say, and then they go back and they repeat it. And so you can always tell who's been getting it because of wherever they're looking. You know, you know, you haven't been studying, have you? So <laughs> but anyway, you always, but they do that, and then people will help and say, what? And you know, hold on, I don't, what was that? Okay, I can't remember. And then go, okay, and then we go on. That, so that's really common. And so when you're talking to highly educated people, interrupt them all the time. Stop, don't know that word. What does that mean? They don't, I mean, they expect that because that's how they work. They, they expect to interrupt people. If they, you say some word, you know, if you're a fisherman and you use some term about fishing that they don't know, they're going to say, ah, wait, wait, what is that? I don't know what that means. And they'll interrupt you because they expect that to happen. If you don't know the keyword, jump in there and ask. That's what you're expected to do when you're talking to people like this. And they don't mind. They actually, that's part of their fun, actually. So, so do it. Jump in there and ask some questions. Like Nicodemus. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus isn't being sarcastic. He's not. He's actually asking a, a question in a way that he understands. So he's saying, okay, you obviously can't mean physically. I mean, duh. That's clear. We know you don't mean physically. But I'm not getting it. So, and this is an actual expression that's used all the time. So flesh this out. <laughs> they say that all the time. I know it works perfectly for this one, but he's saying expand. I need expansion here. I don't get where you're going with this statement. Spread that thing out. So when you talk to people, they, they might do that. I mean, they don't know Christianity. So many of these guys don't. So they may say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean Jesus cross, uh, the cross of Jesus? I don't understand why you mean cross of Jesus. Well, when we say cross of Jesus, we mean that Jesus came and he died on a cross, but he rose from the dead. And one day, all of us, when we die, will also raise from the dead because of Jesus. That's when we say cross of Christ. That's kind of what we mean. Oh, okay. Well, that, see, they won't know. So they'll bump in and ask, what? Stop. And just, that's it. Interplay. Go back and forth, back and forth. That's what we're trying to do here. And this is what Nicodemus is doing. And note, too, you don't challenge the person. You don't say that. Nicodemus didn't say, that's stupid. You can't be born twice. This is dumb. He didn't say that. They don't do that. They purposefully isolate the fact from the person. Now, I know the guys that make the news, the, the Richard Dawkins of the world that are so caustic, they aren't liked by the people that they work with. That isn't how scientists work. They, that isn't how philosophy people work. They don't attack the person. They talk the point. What is the point of what you do? 
So yes, those guys get on the news, but no, they're not the normal educated person. You don't, they don't normally attack a person like that. They actually have, of course, uh, a Greek term, ad hominem, it's against the man. They actually have terms like that for people who attack the person. It's not, that's not a legitimate argumentation with an educated person. So if you're working with somebody that has a high education, be careful not to attack the person. Attack, you know, challenge the idea. Nicodemus challenges the idea. Come on. No guy can get born. You can't be born again. You can't go back in your mother's womb and be born again. That isn't possible. So you're going to have to fill me in here. What are you talking about? Okay, that's how, how they work, and that's the kind of the idea that we need to do. So with, if somebody challenges a statement you make, they're not challenging you. They're challenging the statement. And they expect an interplay back and forth. They expect you to say, no, that's not right, because... And then you're supposed to come around. So don't, you know, be aware that they're going to do that kind of thing. Uh, okay, and now remember, as we're going through this, the absolute expectation of the sufficiency of Jewishness. Being Jewish is all it takes. Remember, that's, that's in, the, in the mind of Nicodemus. That's in the mind of all the Jewish people, educated and uneducated. If you're a Jew, you're okay. Otherwise, boy, you better toe the line. You better get something done because you're in trouble. Jewishness gets you there. That's their belief. And Jesus is challenging that pretty severely here. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay, this is a common tactic, even today, to double up a statement. Jewish people really loved it. You find it all the way through the Bible. So Jesus says the same thing two ways. Born of water, let's see, just as before a baby's born, what happens? Water breaks, right? You say, okay, born of water and born of the Spirit. And then Jesus says it another way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's saying this whole physical birth thing is one thing. But I need you to be talking to me about spiritual birth. There's a different thing. There's a spiritual. Now, Nicodemus should know what Jesus is talking about here. He should understand spiritual. He should have said, ah, I see where you're going. He doesn't. But he should have, he should have known that. That's in the Old Testament. That's clear even in the past. Before Jesus came, it was still clear. So the second statement, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit of Spirit clarifies that first statement. So watch for that as you're talking also with educated people. They'll usually say things another way. They're real good at If you don't get it, they... And they'll come back and say it another way and another way. They're used to doing that. So work with them. <laughs> it's a good thing. The you here is, again, singular. I say to you, Nicodemus, listen to me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Figure out that they're not the same. Just because you're born Jewish doesn't mean you're born again spiritually. It doesn't necessarily equate. I know you thought it did, but it does not. And again, the kingdom cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you, do you remember Jesus' response to Pilate? I don't know if you've read that. All of you read that story. Just as Jesus is being crucified, just before he's actually crucified, Pilate says to him, are you a king? And he says, you say, I am a king. Yes, you're right. And he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my people would be fighting for me. But it's not of this world. My kingdom is different. It's a spiritual kingdom. He didn't go that far with Pilate. But that's what he's talking about. 
there was one time when Jesus did a miracle when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. They were going to start to get an army together and Jesus was going to, they were going to try to force the Romans, Jesus was going to be the new king. And that's not where he was going. It's kingdom of heaven. The interesting thing is, Nicodemus would never have done that. He would never have tried to form an army to make Jesus king because he, he would know that that's not the goal. He would work with Jesus in that. So there is an advantage to all of this elite education stuff. I mean, it does help in some areas. Unfortunately, there's disadvantages too. And, and there's an advantage for each of the positions we are in. But with an educated person, they will think some of these things out. And so you can really work with them. They're actually not hard to work with once you get past the communication part. Let's go back to the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus had. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this is now an extension of the proposition. Jesus is talking to a highly educated man. He's talking to him in a way he'll understand. Here's my, my contention was, you must be born again. Here's an extension of it. The wind blows where it wants. You know where the wind comes from? Anybody here want to tell me exactly where this wind came from? You don't know. <laughs> you, know you, you, can't, you can't see the wind. You can see its effect, but you can't see it. You don't know what it's doing. You don't know if it's going to end up in Kansas. Is it going to end up in New York? Where is it going? I don't know. We don't know those things. But we know it's happening. We see the wind doing things. We hear it. Right? He's saying that's how it is with the Spirit. So what he's really saying is you should be able to see if somebody's born again. You ought to be able to see that. You can see, you can hear the wind. You don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's going. But you, you, you hear it. So why is it that a Spirit person wouldn't be some way obvious. Something's supposed to happen. Something ought to be there. It's really, really an important point as we watch this. And remember, illustrations like this, wind, and that, that's very common in educated circles where people are talking back and forth. You want that, actually. You want to be illustrating because it helps to make the point clearer. And by the way, i got to tell you, the word spirit in Greek and in Hebrew, both. It's really fascinating. In both of those languages, which are about as different as two languages can be, the word spirit and the word wind and the word breath are all one word. Ruach in, in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. One word for spirit, wind, and breath. Very fascinating. So when Jesus uses this illustration for wind... Nicodemus's mind is spinning. He's tying together wind and spirit and see how, how he's working with Nicodemus to help his mind grasp the concept by tying things together like that. And there's also the you. Every you in that verse, except for one, is plural. Not singular. Plural. Do not marvel that I say to you, you, must be born again. So, I say to you, you all must be born again. He switches it again later. You must all be born again. All of you. The wind blows where it wishes, and you, all of you, 
hear its sound. But you, all of you, how about if I just say y'all? <laughs> uh, you don't know where it comes from, where it goes. So he's saying plural, all of you know these things. He's talking to Nicodemus. Do not marvel, I said to you, Nicodemus, that you all must be born again. Isn't that interesting how Jesus is doing that? What we're talking about is he's saying you've got a visible effect of the invisible wind, right? Visible effect of the invisible wind, and he's saying there is an obvious nature of Jewishness. You're Jewish. That's a physical thing, and it's obvious. Everybody can see from 45 miles away, you're Jewish. We know it. We got it. Not a problem. You act like it. You dress like it. You talk like it. You're Jewish. We got it. Okay? There ought to be an obvious reality of spiritual birth, wind, spiritual wind. See? That ought to be obvious too. But it wasn't. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? <laughs> He's really rocking Nicodemus' world here. The better translation many believe is, how could these things happen? How could this come about? How could this happen? So first, his question is, how is it that Jewishness is not enough? It was always enough before. How come it's not enough now? What am I missing? Of course, it never was enough, but... <laughs> But the real question could be, how is this second birth going to be accomplished if it's not accomplished through us living like Jews? If what we do isn't getting us to that second birth, what does? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You remember when we talked about the woman at the well? She was getting kind of uppity with Jesus, being a smart aleck, frankly. And so Jesus verbally slaps her. He says, where's your husband? <laughs> they both knew. <laughs> well, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you've had five, and the one you have now isn't your husband. Yeah, you don't have a husband, that's right. He had to kind of verbally slap her to make her pay attention. And then she was willing to listen again. This is the slap for Nicodemus. You don't get this, professor? You don't get this? Are you kidding me? So Jesus does get to the slap. <laughs> the teacher. He actually says, you are the teacher in Israel? In other words, you have the distinguished chair of philosophy and theology at Jerusalem University and you don't get this? Ouch. <laughs> I mean, this, this, is a, this is a tough thing. And Jesus does say, you are the teacher of Israel. Not of God, not from God, of Israel. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. We. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Who's we? Why this sudden switch? 
Jesus is saying, I say to you, I say to you, I say to you. He's been speaking with authority. Boom, boom, boom. Listen, listen, listen. Go, go, go. And now he says, we. Our testimony. What? Well, there's a few possibilities. Some people think he's just saying, of we, my disciples and I, know what we're talking about. And I think so, because for one thing, I know his disciples didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> they didn't get it either. So that can't be it. Some people think maybe he's giving Nicodemus the idea of the Trinity. Maybe he's trying to explain to him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it's too early. There's no way you're going to drop that on Nicodemus now. He doesn't have enough of the basics to give this kind of thing. So I really don't think that could be it, although there could be a hint there. But I think what he's doing is a very common thing of that time, not so much now, but it's still used some now. And it's kind of, we, we sometimes call it the royal we. It gives majesty to a statement, to a claim. So Jesus is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, we, the, what I'm saying to you has an authority that it goes beyond what you understand to the distinguished chair of philosophy and theology at Pearson University. Well, Jesus' claims are breathtaking in this. I mean, he is claiming a lot. And it sounds, for that matter, like Nicodemus is getting it. The first you here, I say to you, Nicodemus, that's singular. But the second one, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you is plural. You guys that are in that council, all you profs, all you rich people, you're not listening to what we're saying and agreeing with it. You're not believing what I'm saying. You're not receiving our testimony. We're using very Jewish words. Nicodemus is very Jewish. You're not receiving what I'm saying. You're not accepting it. As opposed to that blind man, remember in the chapter 9 that we talked about? He said, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. The blind man, a complete outcast of society, got it. He got it. And these guys don't. <laughs> Jesus goes on, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? All three occurrences of you are plural here. He's talking about the group. Y'all. All of you profs together. All of you rich guys together. You can't even get what I tell you about the things here. About Jewishness. About You can't even get that. You're not believing that. And you think you can learn about spiritual things from me? Are you kidding me? You can't even get these things. And, and it's believe, not understand. They can understand the word, but they're not believing what he says. You know, earthly, the, the things happening right in front of your nose, you know, like wind, birth, and that kind of. You're not getting that. How do you think that the heavenly, the spiritual, is something you're going to understand and believe? Well, what good would he do for me to tell you? You don't even believe this. Why would I waste my time telling you that? He's being pretty abrupt. But with educated people, that's okay. They're used to that. They, they want directness. They're generally okay with you saying, this is the way it is. Again, the idea, not the person, but 
Jesus and get away with things too. Maybe we can't, but <laughs> but we can still learn to say the truth. And sometimes you got to say hard things. It's just the way it is. I want you to notice something. This is very likely the end of the conversation. Uh, all the pronouns have disappeared now. It, the whole language changes. Everything changes in the way that the speech goes on. So all the rest are probably John talking about the conversation and, uh, and finishing it, if you will, because I don't think Nicodemus would have got it at that time. So I, I know you, some of you have a Bible and it has red letters there and, and it, they're still red. The guy who did the red letters was trying to be helpful and he was trying to help people pick out Jesus' words, but the whole Bible are Jesus' words, okay? Everything, every part of Scripture is breathed out by God. Everything is. So everything's good. But very probably the conversation ends here. Uh, I don't think there's a theologian alive who thinks John 3.16 is Jesus talking. <laughs> no, I don't think there's anybody who does. So putting letters in red is an ad addition to the Bible. It's not. It's a help. It's like the titles they put in the Bible. You know, they like they have little titles over parts of the Bible. Those aren't in the original text. They're they're added for us to figure out what's going on. Right. Those red letters are addition to supposed to be a help. Uh, probably the rest of this is not Jesus talking. It's probably John explaining. And and we also get it because there's. There's like tremendous echoes from the first chapter of John, the introduction that John had. Uh, you can see it all over through this as you read the two. So the next thing John writes is, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So if Nicodemus heard this later, and I'm sure he read it later, what he heard was, no mere human can understand. It's not even possible for a human, a mere human, to understand the spiritual things. You can't. It's not, we are not qualified. We don't have what it takes to understand all the spiritual things. We're never going to get it ever in this life. Never. It's not going to happen. Because we didn't come from heaven. Jesus later will ascend too. This is another reason we think this is later. is because no one has ascended to heaven well. When John actually wrote the gospel, Jesus had already ascended to heaven. But he hadn't at the time of the conversation. So that's why we're saying this is probably later. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. You can't get this. But there are some things you can get. So he goes on. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So we'll stop there. This whole serpent in the wilderness thing. There was this time when the children of Israel got out of Egypt God brought them out in the desert and they started go complaining, whining, screaming. They, they kicked their feet all the way. They weren't happy. They weren't happy. That first generation, by the way, never got to the promised land. It's the second generation that got to it. But in that first generation, there's this time when they, well, defied God pretty badly. They were sinning like mad. And so God sent poisonous snakes among them. And, it's, and the snakes started biting people and they were dying. They were dying. These were venomous snakes and they were dying from these snake bites. So they run to Moses and say, we're so sorry, we did wrong again. Can you please pray to God and ask him to take away the snakes? We don't want to die anymore. And so God, Moses says, okay, and he goes and prays to God and God says, I'll take care of it. Here's what you do. <laughs> he says, make a brass snake. It looks the same. Put it on a big pole and stand it up in the air and have them look at it. And anybody who will look at it after they get bitten by a snake, all they got to do is go look at it and they won't die. Um... 
Wouldn't it be easier just to get rid of the snakes? <laughs> Why leave the snakes there? Why not just get rid of the snakes? What, what, what is it? Well, there's a few things going on here, but one of them is what God is saying is you're still sinning. You're not getting it. You're still just as bad off as you were before. What I need you to do is to be looking towards me, looking to me to help. Look to me to get you out of this mess. So what I'm going to do is, just like your sin's still with you, the snakes are still with you, but they don't have to kill you. All you got to do, look at that thing up on the pole, in good shape. That's all it takes. Just do that. And this is a precursor, a picture of Christ. We're still in our sin. You're not going to solve it yourself. There's no way this is going to work. You've got to look to Christ in order to be saved. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. First, Son of Man must be lifted up. Everybody in that time period, everybody knew that phrase. Lifted up meant being crucified by the Romans. There was no ambiguity. Everybody knew what this meant. John is saying, Jesus must be lifted up. The Son of Man must die on a cross. That's interesting. And then he goes on to say, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's how you get eternal life. Kind of an unexpected way for there to be a second birth. Wouldn't you think? That's not the way I would have looked. I'm sure it's not where Nicodemus was going. But it is how God will achieve this moving of his elect into eternal life. Get the elect born again. This is how it happens. And remember now, uh, the, the word structure has changed now, so it's gone. Eternal life is exactly equal to kingdom of God. Okay, that's what Nicodemus heard, kingdom of God, he thought eternal life. Um, by the time John wrote, that word wasn't as, that phrase wasn't as well understood, so he used eternal life. He just directly states it. Did you notice who it is that can get eternal life? Whoever. Whoever. Not just Jews. Whoever. It's constant. You watch it. It's all the way through this whole section. Whoever. 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 Anybody. Anybody can have eternal life. There is no restriction. The life thing, the serpent in Moses, Okay, you look at this snake, this brass snake up there on this pole, and now you don't die from a snake bite. Don't look, you die. You want life? Look. Now, do you really think it was there looking at the snake that healed them? <laughs> you know, of course not. Nobody thinks that. The only reason they're looking is because God said, look, look, look. Pay attention, look. And if you'll do that, I will keep you from dying. So they were looking because they were believing. Life, eternal life with Jesus. God puts him on the cross, by the way. God puts him on the cross. You compare that snake and Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the point is, Will you, oh educated person wanting to talk to me and wanting me to explain this, will you look and believe? You've got to believe. You can't 
you know, the demons, the demons believe and they tremble. <laughs> they know who Jesus is. Will we look and believe? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First point, don't miss that first word, for. For, for, what go back, what, for what? Well, the for is how this works, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's what's going on. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because God wanted to save us. Wow. Don't miss the enormous cost to God. This is an enormous cost to God to send his son. It is no small thing. Some of you may have read the story of Isaac in the Old Testament in Genesis. He's the son of Abraham. And God comes to Abraham. Isaac doesn't know this. Maybe I should just tell it to you from Isaac's viewpoint. His dad says, come on, Isaac, we're going to go give us a sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice to God in the mountain. Well, they've sacrificed on the mountain before. So they all get in there, all the guys, and they're going up to the special mountain that God's going to go, that Abraham's going to go to with Isaac. And pretty soon he says, all right, you guys that are with us, you all stay here. It's just Isaac and I are going. And so Isaac's looking around, okay, and they start walking, and he's thinking, gee, we got wood. Carry this fire. We can make an altar out of rocks. Um, where's the lamb? They always bring a lamb because that's what we sacrifice. We sacrifice a lamb. Where's the lamb? And he actually asks his dad, where's the lamb? <laughs> Abraham says, don't worry. God will provide a sacrifice. Interesting. So they go all the way up to the mountain. Isaac helps his dad. They stack up the stones, build the altar put the wood on it, get the tinder under there, get everything going, get it all ready to sacrifice the animal. And Abraham says to Isaac, come here. And he ties his hands, ties his feet, sets him up on top of the wood, and pulls out a knife. <laughs> what? <laughs> and just as he's about to plunge the knife into his son's heart, God says, stop. You need this test. Turn around and look there in the bushes behind you, and there's a ram caught in the bushes. They sacrificed the lamb, a substitute for Isaac. You know, in another part of the Bible, we're told that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what he thought was going to happen. He thought he was going to sacrifice him, God would bring him back to life. That's what he thought was going to happen. But God had a different plan because it wasn't Isaac. It was Jesus that we were looking to. But that kind of picture of a substitute. Now Jesus is our substitute. And John wants his readers and us to think, what if Jesus did not come? What would have happened if Jesus did not come? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What he's saying is, if Jesus hadn't come, the world would be condemned. No Jesus, no salvation, no eternal life. That's what you have to have. Jesus came to save the world. The world, by the way, not just the Jews. Wow! That's what happens if Jesus doesn't come. Not even important. Let's read a little longer section. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Jews, Nicodemus, are condemned already. Without Jesus, they don't get saved either. Without faith in Jesus, they don't get saved either. It doesn't make a difference who you are. (laughs) You need to believe. And that judgment thing, you know, before Jesus... You might have been able to plea, bargain, (laughs) if you will. How could I know? Okay, maybe, I don't know what God's going to do, but I can tell you this. Jesus has been in the world, and people have seen the light. When you talk to educated people, or anybody, and you explain who Jesus is, and how he died for them, and they say, eh, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Oh, that's judgment right there. Now you know. It's one thing to break a law when you don't know. It's a whole other thing to absolutely categorically know and say, I don't care. It's tough. By the way, the works, the works, their works are evil. Let's see, the wind blows and it causes things to happen. The Spirit comes and it causes us He causes us to live differently. The people who don't have the Spirit, you can see it in their lives too. It gets clearer and clearer as time goes on. Their works. In verse 20 we read, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what's happening with this light and judgment and that sort of thing is there are people who don't want to be exposed for who they are. The truth is we got to be exposed for who we are. Because if the Spirit dwells in us, we're going to start doing things that are after him. And those we do want to be seen. (laughs) That's the ones we want people to see. And as we understand that Jesus does save us and that we will have eternal life, we get a little more comfortable with the idea of the light coming in because, you know, we still do have those other things that are going to show up in the light too. (laughs) But we have the things that God is doing in us. Our hearts are changing. Our actions begin to change. Our spirit changes and just like the wind does things, so does this invisible spirit start to play out in our lives. We start to see ourselves be different. And that's how we know. And then we want that to be seen. We want people to know. We want God to see that we are His. So we have to be willing to be exposed. But the good news is that God places in us the ability to begin to do the right thing. I guess what we need to say all along is, what is Jesus asking of Nicodemus? Remember when we talked about the woman at the well, Jesus seems to always demand, <laughs> ask people to do something. 
do something, produce something, whatever it is, do something before he blesses them. That's just really common. So what is he asking of Nicodemus? What do you ask a really educated person? You must be born again. That's what he's asking. Be born again. Be born again. Make the move. <laughs> do this thing. Be born again. That's what God is asking of Nicodemus. And we see Nicodemus pop up here and again in the story. In, in John 7, we read Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, the council, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They said, We don't care. <laughs> we don't give a rip what our law says. We don't give anything else. We've already decided what we're going to do, and there we go. And Nicodemus is saying, Look, we're either going to obey the very law we say that we do, the very law that makes us rulers, or we're not. Which is it? And they said not. They, they did. They just said, we don't care. Not. We're not going to do it, even though he's living in the law. But Nicodemus stood up when Jesus died, before he resurrected. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, went public. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And in the place where he was, crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, they couldn't walk very far in the rules. Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus went public too. And he came right down to it. And what fascinates me is he went public when Jesus was dead. Hadn't seen a resurrection yet. And he said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And the Spirit moved in him and made him able to do this. Just like the wind blows. I told you there were a lot of echoes of John's introduction. I want to read part of that introduction. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, John saying, I, have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
born again. Be born again. That's what we're saying to the world's smartest man. <laughs> You're not so smart. No matter how much you know, maybe you do have the greatest IQ in the world. It's not enough. You didn't come from heaven. You don't understand heaven. You do not understand the spiritual. You were born here. You cannot get it. But you can believe. And the one thing you have to believe is Jesus Christ. You have to look at him on the cross, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. That's what you got to deal with. That's the thing you got to know. That's where you have to make your decision. Will you believe that he really is the Son of God, like he said he is? And then maybe you'll get a parachute instead of a backpack. <laughs> get things right in life. God will help you out a little later. But most importantly, eternal life. Eternal life is a reality. As the world changes, and it is dramatically changing, in, in, our, in my lifetime, when I was young, in high school, college, the vast majority of scientists did not believe there was a spiritual. There was no such thing as a spiritual. There's a material universe, and that's it. And there's still a real strong vocal group of that. But that is evaporating at an enormous rate. Almost all scientists now hold to some sort of spiritual existence. Not necessarily Christian. But they are open to talk like never before. Educated people all over. It's changing so rapidly you can't believe it. On college campuses today, you'll hear as much discussion of, of spiritual issues as you do of material issues. They no longer are completely foreign to the idea of spirituality. The door is opening. And these educated people know they don't know. And we, all of us who know Christ, know something they don't know. And they're interested like never before. This is a big opportunity. I know most of us run into the woman at the well type much more than we do the, the distinguished professor type. But we're going to run into some people who are more educated than us. And we need to be ready to talk to them. And I think Jesus' example will work for us. Because people are open to the spiritual in a way that's not been for a long time. And I think it's pretty exciting. So we need to do that. Let's pray.